grab your favorite beverage, kick up your feet as you ascend with me into the joy portal of soul reflections, fresh perspectives, fun ideas, and wisdom. Light to light and heart to heart. Smile and breathe even deeper as together we will soar above the perception of all hurdles and shine brightly as the light we are. Namaste. Welcome to Light Laughter and Lattes. My name is Jerry Hapstreet and I'm an Avesa quantum healer, medical intuitive, self-ascension intuitive counselor, and your host today for Light Laughter and Lattes. So welcome everyone. I want to apologize. We're starting a little bit late today. We had another awesome event happening and someone else was using the studio, so our times clashed a little bit. But we are here and the chat is open and so is the call line. So you are welcome to jump in and say hi so we know you're here. And you're also welcome to call in and I'll put that up. I have a fabulous guest today. So you may want to ask some questions or give us a call. So um, just another great welcome to everyone on Oneness Talk Radio Facebook and Oneness Talk Radio YouTube. And then all all of you that may be listening via podcast on Spotify or one of the other outlets, welcome as well. And come on, and I'm live every week at 4 p.m. Mountain Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time at Oneness Talk Radio, Facebook and YouTube. And we would love to have you come over here. And we have a great family and community of people that jump in each week. So um, so, that, so let's get to this week's topic. First of all, I want to um, acknowledge this, this fabulous week we're in. We have a new moon coming up on Saturday. And we've been in this huge upliftment energy, this rising energy. We're being called to lift in consciousness and lift our energies and frequency even higher Um, I've been having a huge call up into the crown energy, so I thought my guest was a perfect fit as we're talking about the crown energy this week. And so I'm going to introduce my my fabulous guest. Her name is Dr. Rima Benario, and she is a dream weaver, soul coach, and wild heart healer with 30 years on the path of conscious evolution She's a respected thought leader, speaker, and teacher for women seeking to stand in their personal power while remaining open-hearted and connected. Rima specializes in the arena of personal sovereignty and the challenge many women face in maintaining a healthy balance between caring for others and caring for themselves. Rima's best-selling book, The Seven Queendoms, A Soul Map for Embodying Sacred Feminine Sovereignty, explains how women can use the energy, majesty, and noble nature of the queen archetype to consciously create a life they love. Welcome, Rima. Thank you. So excited to be with you today, Jerry. Yeah, this is this is a lot of fun. Um, so I do work all the time with chakra systems and healing. I do, I, I read all the things you do and we do a lot of the same things. And it is so much fun to put this all in the archetype. Well, any archetypes are fun because you're stepping out of the norm of what things are and you're putting them into, you know, um, I don't know, like almost like a fairy tale, right? So I I love that you use the queens. But before you get into that, I want to know what what in your journey brought you to this point that you're now this mentor-healer-teacher usually all the mentor healer teachers I know have had quite an experience or journey that got them to that point. And so can you share some of that with us? Yeah, sure. I'm no exception to that rule. Um, (laughs) I think for me, there were several, several pieces to the puzzle. Part of it was recovering from a religious upbringing that was very constrictive and, um, finding a way to have a more personal relationship with the divine. I had some very unexpected moments on the path as I started to heal myself and 
found a connection to the divine through a oneness moment where I just went into a state, spontaneous state of pure bliss and deep connection of oneness with everything all around me. And it was so profound and life-changing for me that I really dedicated myself to the idea that I want this to be my everyday experience. And, and so while that was sort of a state change, a change in my state of being, I wanted to grow into a stage change, which is a developmental stage change where you get to really own it. And for me, all the places that I flailed about included relationship issues and finding myself working, overworking, constantly overgiving and and in a place of burnout and uh, not really able to connect deeply with my husband the way that I wanted to in our intimate relationship and, and also in my parenting relationship with my daughter, seeing my behavior reflecting back to me, not the person that I wanted to be. So all of those things over a course of many years kept inviting me deeper into understanding myself and understanding why I had certain habits that I leaned into without even consciously choosing them. And that I ended up getting a doctorate in transformational psychology and over the course of many years have found a lot of answers that have proven to be helpful for myself as well as my students. Nice. So I have to ask, um, I had to, I led towards psychology. I had just a minor in psychology, but did you, did you find now that you know what you know, was that transformational psychology, was that beneficial? Well, I studied at Holos University Graduate um, Seminary, and so it was a fusion of science and spirit, and it was absolutely perfect for me because that's where I like to work. I like to bring what we can learn from science together with perennial wisdom and our own personal experience of spirituality and the divine and ourselves as spiritual beings so that we aren't giving over our power to something outside of ourselves, and we're also kind of checking checking in and getting confirmation on the guidance we're receiving. So it's a it's this wonderful combination of being both self-directed, soulfully self-directed and supported by what we can learn from perennial wisdom and from the the wisdom that's available from our human family. Okay. So what um what made you go with queens as as far as your archetypes why because I've seen other people write books and they go through any number of the jester or whatever and you went with all queens well this came about from my research I was looking at my life and trying to understand myself and part of my work in that arena included sort of falling into what's become very popular the goddess culture and uh, looking at the feminine divine and being able to recapture that sense of sacredness around feminine principles and feminine values which are not just reserved for women by the way we all have masculine and feminine energies within us those are very deep archetypal patterns that are energies and they're not related to gender at all. And so as I was doing this research, I came across the threefold goddess model of maiden mother crone, which if you've been around the block in the women's empowerment movements and women's self-growth industry, you've probably heard of that. And I knew my maiden time was more connected to my youth and my mothering uh, was a lot about outputting and creating and mothering my daughter. And she was getting to the age where she wasn't needing me in quite as much and in quite the same ways. And I was in no way ready for crone yet. And I kept feeling like there had to be something more. And I ran across this idea of the queen as being a missing fourth archetype. And that the previous set of Mother, Maid, and Crone was based on the phases of the moon, but actually the moon has four phases. It's got the new moon and or the te- where we have like the crescent moon where it's waxing and waning, and then we've got the full moon, but we also have the new moon, which is dark time, right? So, so this made very good sense to me that a fourth archetype was needed. And the queen sort of sits, if you're going to look at it from a linear standpoint, between this time when we're wrapping up some of our main mothering duties and we're not yet ready to retire, and sit on the sidelines as the wise woman, we are ready to put our work 
and our knowledge to work in the world through service. And that's really what the queen does. She's a very noble archetype. She is incredibly well-resourced and she is aware of her need to receive in order for her to give from a state of luscious overflow. And this was the exact issue that I was facing in my life at the time when I found her and she became incredibly important for me. And lo and behold, if I didn't discover that there were actually seven forms of the queen that I needed to have to create what I call now my queen's council. And they are powerful allies for me so that I get to express my sense of sovereignty in the world in, in all seven domains of my life. Well, I love that you're taking all the queens through the chakras and you're giving them their, the queenly empowerment aspect of each chakra. And of course, we all know that there's an imbalanced chakra too. So there's the other side, which you call the shadow side to that as well. Yes. Um, but before we, before we go into this, and I'm excited to get there because I love that piece. This is like the juice of your book, right? But it's, it's, I can't, we need to talk a bit about that, the women who it's, for years, it was noble for the women to give themselves away, mm-hmm. you know, to put themselves second, that what that was noble, but that it's not noble anymore. And I think we're finally coming around to that. Yeah, I think, I, I think anytime we're talking about a kind of sacrificial version of giving where you have nothing left for yourself, that's never noble. I think that's brainwashing personally, where we've been taught that somehow our only value is in how much of ourselves we can give away. And all that does is leave us drained and really not able to fully care for people at the level that we want to care for them. We are told over and over again when we ride on a plane how important it is that if something happens to the cabin pressure, you have to put your own oxygen mask on first before somebody else's so that you don't become a burden by passing out with no oxygen. And really, this is what we're correcting now. We're correcting this idea that somehow we have to give away so much that we have nothing left for ourselves. And then we we can't actually be functional for ourselves. And instead, what the queen archetype teaches us is in order to be of the greatest possible service to ourselves and our people, we need to understand how powerfully important it is to be well resourced in every possible way. And I like to talk about the queen bee as a great analogy for this. The queen bee is actually chosen from all the regular larva in the in the hive when it's time for a new bee they just select a larva and she's just a regular larva but the moment she's chosen as the next queen her only job is to receive she doesn't start working with all the other worker bees she just stays where she is and they bring to her this nourishing substance called royal jelly and she eats and eats and eats and eats and her job is to become as big as she can as nourished as she can so that when the time is ready she can lay all the eggs the hive will need for its continuation and it's understood that she that the the future of the hive depends on her being well nourished and well resourced and so if we are going to be the sovereign queens of our own domain and not sit around waiting for someone else to come and rescue us and be the one who who interrupts our overgiving and tells us, oh, you don't need to do that anymore. No one's coming, ladies. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> coming. It's really up to us to say, this stops here. I have to nourish and nurture myself so that I can nourish and nurture others. And I can be a good example for my kids and for people who are watching me to see that we can take good care of ourselves while we're also taking good care of others. Yeah, I love the bee analogy. Sounds like that would be a really good children's book or or somewhere in there where we're learning about life, right? How to how to really properly take care of ourselves. Um, I know many of the mothers, especially, you know, in years past, it was all about doing everything for the children and, you know, putting themselves second. And I know that I had to spend many, many, many years, you know, unwinding that, spending, you know, using time 
for me to do my things that I wanted to do to my activities and things like that. And so I know, um, I feel like that balance is coming back now. It's not selfish anymore. It's, it's self-full to take care of yourself first. So I love that you're empowering women to, to look at things in a better way and to be more empowered and to have boundaries and, um, and, and think of their, think of their, think of themselves as Queens. I mean, that's a start right there. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with putting ourselves second when we consciously choose to do that. It's just that I see so many women who don't even have themselves on the list at all. And why this began to change for me was I studied with Linda Cesara, who's a master energy teacher, and she is uh, has been raised up in many of the um, traditions of the Deer Tribe and uh, Turtle Island, a lot of indigenous culture. And one of the things that I learned from her is that energetically, women's bodies just function differently from men. And because we live in a society that's largely been designed for men by men, the way that the world operates functions pretty well for them. And we all get into the corporate environments and we find ourselves hitting up against a wall and we need to say something needs to shift here. And very often you'll hear men say, I don't see what the problem is. What's the big deal? Because it works pretty well. Okay. For them, their, their energy bodies are designed to output as a source of power for them. They get charged by outputting, which is really what we're talking about. When we say masculine energy, you can just think of it like outflow or the outpole. We're electromagnetic energy fields, all of us. We all have an in-pole and an out-pole. And for the male body, the out-pole is charging. It's, it, it helps to build up their energy reserves. They get very charged by getting out there and doing things and the hero and the sort of charge ahead kind of experience. Whereas the feminine is more about receiving in. That energy is is an inflow. And a female body or somebody who identifies with a female body and has their energy set up in such a way that it's flowing the way a female body's energy body does, what we need to do to charge ourselves is to receive first and give second. And that's a very strange concept for most women because when we're mothering, That's actually, in terms of energy, a masculine act. It's an output. We do it up here from the chest. We nurse our child. We have an output. But when we receive in is in the pelvic area of the body, and that's where we get charged. And so it's something that's fascinating for women to learn when they study with me how important it is to receive first, to fill, and then to give from this place of luscious overflow. Otherwise, we're going to burn out time and time and time again. Right. Well, and you're taking me into the medical intuitive analogy. That's that's my t- training is is in medical intuition, and you think of the sperm and the egg too, right? The the sperm, the masculine energy, is to charge, go after, yeah. take action. The egg is to receive that charge into birth creation, and so energetically, that's how exactly how we're set up. <laughs> Right. And nothing gets created in life, biologically speaking, until the woman receives. Right. And somehow we've forgotten that in the rest of our daily living, that that it's somehow selfish, as you'd said, for us to be thinking about how and when we want to receive. And in particular, in today's world where women are also working as well as working at home, for some of us, it was just like taking on a second job, whereas what we've seen with our male counterparts is they don't really they might have picked up some of the things at home, but not quite to the same extent. And, mm-hmm. and so there's still a rebalancing that's needing here. And it's truly up to us to see that we are worthy of that. We are worthy of the time. We are worthy of the nourishment. We are, we are so very often our hearts are made for giving because our, our giving happens here in the heart. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's easy for us when we see a need to want to fill it. Because that's what our hearts want to do. And it's important for us to become become very skilled at noticing when we're filling those needs to our own detriment. And then we're not doing anybody any favors. We end up 
frustrated, bitter, resentful, cold, shut down, you know, all of those things that can happen over time when we're just giving, giving, giving without receiving anything back in return. Mm-hmm. Super important. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so you use the word sovereignty in, in your title. What are, what are you beaming by that? Well, sovereignty is defined as having supreme power and authority without any outside influence in your state of self-governance. And I would wager that most of us don't feel completely capable of our, or allowed really to be 100% in our own self-governance. And, and to some degree, we live in communities, so we, there's a little bit of a give and take around that that's natural. But it's so important for us to recognize that when we have abdicated our right to know ourselves, to know authentically what's true and meaningful for us, then we are at the whim of other people. And that's why this work at its root is spiritual in nature, because we have to go deep inward to find a relationship with our higher self or what I sometimes call my soul self or that that part of me that knows that it knows that it knows so that I can receive my instructions for daily living, my intuitive understanding of what's best for me and the people that I'm serving from that place of my higher self, from that soul perspective, rather than being ego driven. And and so there's a really important piece here where we need to be able to differentiate between the the whines and the cries and the demands of the ego and the soulful yearning and longing that's coming from deep within that's coming from that still small voice from that place that's connected to our higher self and once we can differentiate between those two we can act from that place of self-sovereignty and and i have split this out across seven different domains because being a human being is complex. There's all kinds of things we need to be tending to. And so that's why there are seven queens, because each one has a different domain that she oversees. Can you take us through, can you take us through the chakras or the domains? (laughs) Absolutely. So, so we'll start at the top with the divine queen. She oversees the crown chakra and her area of domain is um, spiritual sovereignty. So in when we're working with her, sometimes what we're doing, it might be for the very first time, we're developing our own personal sense of spirituality. Maybe we're recovering from dogma or other religious doctrine that was damaging for us at some point in our lives. And we're learning to listen in, like we were saying before. Um, and then we move into the third eye, which is the domain of the visionary queen and mental sovereignty. And she helps us get really, really clear vision to be able to look at our thought processes, to be able to look at the stories we tell ourselves and to figure out if those are illusions or those are actually what's there. So we call on the power of the visionary queen to do that. Then we move down into the throat chakra and here we find the expressive queen and she's all about our dharma, which is our work in the world, our natural state. You know, what is it that we've come here to offer the world? Who have we come here to be? And she helps us access that. Then we move to the heart chakra where naturally we're going to find the loving queen. And her domain is emotional sovereignty. So we can get a good sense of how we are doing with our emotional life. And again, balancing the giving and receiving, loving ourselves, loving others, accepting ourselves, accepting others. And then we move to the solar plexus, which is the domain of the empowered queen. And she oversees energetic sovereignty. And this is where I teach a lot about different forms of energy mastery and how important it is to really know and be able to work consciously with your energy body. For me, that was a new concept, you know, a dozen years ago, this idea that I had an energy body and that my health and well-being was in many ways tied to how skillful I was at paying attention to my energy body and mastering it. So there's a lot about that in the solar plexus. Then we move to the sacral chakra where we have the passionate queen and naturally you'd think she's involved in sexual sovereignty 
So we learn about ourselves as sensual beings as well as sexual beings. And here more than anywhere else is where we really work on the understanding that we have a right to our needs, wants, and desires and to actually query what those things are and be in in the work of providing that for ourselves and asking for what we need and want in the world. And then the last queen is the grounded queen. And she, of course, is with the root chakra. And so uh, that chakra is all about safety and physical sovereignty, being able to have a healthy body and uh, be well cared for on the planet. And so she really helps us with, with those issues. Great. So you also have some shadow queens as well, right? Or maybe, are you still calling them queens? Yes, they're shadow queens. (laughs) I, I think it's important for us to remember that we can look to these queens and understand that sometimes when we're overexpressed or underexpressed in a particular energy, that can show up in a way that doesn't serve us. So for example, if you have too much of the divine queen going on and your crown chakra is perhaps too wide open or you're too focused on on the divine space, you might be disembodied. You might not actually be physically in your body and unable to really get the benefit of living in a human body. Whereas if you have not enough of that spiritual sovereignty, not enough of the divine queen operating in your space, you could be like the empty queen where there's just a sense of emptiness to life. Like what is the meaning? Like I'm just pushing the peas around the plate and ticking the boxes and sliding safely into death, you know, at the end and not really having a sense of deep meaning. So we can do that. We can look at those all the way down. All seven of the queens have have over and under expressions that help us to start watching out for places where we can find ourselves out of balance. And they begin to provide cues for us to then take, you know, action so that we can move into a place of greater balance and greater mastery. Okay. Let me take a peek here. I have a couple of questions I've got written down. So do, do people typically relate to, um, one queen or the other, like, are they owning a queen or are you, um, or are you training them to see that you have an aspect of all of these? Well, people do kind of like to know which one is their strongest queen. And so we did create a quiz that's available on my website so people can go on and do the quiz. And it's fun to see which of the queens is their strongest queen that they like to work with. And once you receive that, there's a a lot of great um, exercises and information that we provide as the queen results come out for your quiz. But it's important to know that we do have all of these queens inside of us and we want to develop each of them to the level that they become really great allies for us. So if there's an issue that's up in a particular domain, whatever that domain might be, if it's in our sexual life or if it's in our emotional life or it's in our work life, we have a relationship to the queen that can that is overseeing that area and she can support us and seeing what steps do I need to take to bring this into balance. I kind of like to think of it really as having a queen's council where I have all of these amazing allies that I can meditate with. I can write to sometimes I'll journal and work with a particular queen. There are essential oils associated with each of the queens, which helps me connect to the energy of the chakras associated with that queen. There are energy practices that we can do that help us to connect with the power associated with those queens. And all of them together allow us to create a really balanced, healthy, and exciting life that provides nourishment for us so that we don't end up living in a place of feeling dry and resentful and wishful about why I wish my life was like this or why can't my relationships be like that. Instead, we feel truly empowered to create a life we love. Well, and I love that you're using queens. I think that is so important because when you think of a queen, you think of someone who is, um, you know, really good in their boundaries, really, just like you described the queen bee, right? Can, can receive, but is clear, but is strong. 
you know, is giving is all, all of those things. And just a name, owning a name alone is such a powerful thing. I, I know when I traveled to Asia, um, they use Madame there. And everywhere I went while I was there, I was, Madame, can I open the door for you, Madame? And I, at first it was like, whoa, I wasn't used to that kind of, um, almost felt like a title or a treatment. And it took some getting used to. By the end of the trip, I'm like, wow, I'm loving this. I'm almost even holding myself differently. Yes. I'm walking differently. And then I came back to the United States and that went away. And I went back to my name again. I just went, wow, I didn't realize what an effect just just that little, you know, title that they use, you know, what a difference it can make. Well, there's a reverence there that's missing. Mm -hmm. There's a reverence for the feminine. There's a reverence for the soul. And older cultures remember a time when the divine was pictured in its fullness, which meant it ran the spectrum. It had both masculine qualities and feminine qualities. Again, we're talking about energies here, yin and yang, right? And so when we go to a culture where the reverence for yin energy, where the reverence for the feminine, which is seen and projected onto people who are living in female bodies, um, that allows us to see ourselves as sacred, right? When we reclaim and the, the sacredness of feminine energy and the feminine archetype, we can feel that sacredness within ourselves. And that is something that's sorely missing in our culture here in the United States, where we're, we're seeking to bring balance and, and have empowerment for women. But very often the way we've been going about doing that is by trying to be better men than the men. <laughs> and we'll never be better men than the men. You can never out yang the yang, but we can we can be better women than the men, right? And our secret superpowers actually reside in finding and amplifying our sacred feminine sovereignty, our feminine powers that we have access to much more easily because we happen to be living in a body that responds to that kind of energy first and foremost. And the world needs us, needs us to be fully empowered and embodied in the seat of our feminine power so that we can direct our masculine energy. When, when you look at this from an energetic standpoint, the intuition is supposed to guide the action, right? We're supposed to get the instructions first, receive the instructions first, and then go into action. So the masculine energy is really designed to be in service to the feminine energy, to be guided by the feminine energy. And instead, we have a bunch of masculine energy, and, and that happens whether you're a woman or a man, that's just out there doing stuff without having first pause to go inward and to ask, what is the what is the way this is going to serve this action? How could this action serve at the highest possible level? Not just me and my ego self, but seven generations worth of service. How is this going to sustain us in the long run? How is this going to serve the most people? And sometimes that means foregoing a particular instant outcome for a longer term result. And and that's that's a little bit missing right now. So we have disconnection with mother nature we have disconnection with the natural world both individually and as a culture in part we've forgotten about our connection to the feminine face of the divine mm -hmm. yes so how do you when you work with people so you see clients as well when when you work with people, are you working with them through the this the seven queendoms, or is it a, a different process you use? Well, my favorite way of working with the seven queendoms is through the online courses that I teach. So I have some small classes that I have one coming up in November that's 10 sessions and all through the month of November, where I actually have invited in a bunch of my colleagues Together, we're teaching as a faculty different practices for each of the queens, which is a powerful way to learn through a group program. And then my deep dive program is actually an entire year where the women in that group 
go through all seven queens with me over the course of a year. And we really work to undo those things that are in the way of actually being in that sovereign seat in each of those domains. And we work on the shadow material. And then sometimes people just want to have a one-on-one session with me in more of a private way. And what I'll do there is we'll just kind of do a quick scan to see what domain are the challenges showing up in. And we'll start to do some of the shadow work there to look at what's underneath. What is it that's blocking you from being in your sovereign self? And for some people, it can be a very quick adjustment, a very quick process. For others, it might take more time. And we have to be unafraid to go looking under the rug to see what's under there that needs to be addressed, the things that we've just tried to move past and not maybe necessarily look at deeply that are causing us to just stumble because there's something under there, we just don't know what it is. And we need to stop and actually lift the rug up and clean all that stuff out so that we can have the life we desire. Right. Yeah, the ego doesn't like that. Mm The ego doesn't like to look under the rug. <laughs> yes, nothing to see here. Just keep staying busy. No, no, I don't want to feel that pain. I put it under there for a reason. <laughs> well, and then we just hit the point of diminishing returns where we're constantly falling over these lumps under the rug. And it it really, it takes a moment of incredible courage to be willing to sort of press the stop button and say, no more. I'm going to stay here and look at this and work on this until I get it resolved so that I don't have this overtaking my life any longer. And it's helpful to have support when you're doing that. Somebody who knows how to go into those dark corners where the dust bunnies are and has effective processes for cleaning that out so that we don't get sucked in and lost. You know, sometimes people will say, you know, your mind is not a safe neighborhood to be walking in alone at night. And so taking a trusted advisor with you is is a good idea sometimes. Yeah, there's lots of value to that for sure. Um, especially big stuff, big traumas and things. You, It really is beneficial to have someone there, if nothing else is a witness, who can just sit there to, to hold presence for you. Um, otherwise, the little stuff, you can do it. You can do it on your own through journaling or any number of ways. But if you don't look at those things under the rug, you get to keep repeating the experiences over and over and over again. So. One of the things I'm really proud of about this book is that it's not just something that you read and put on the shelf. It's actually a workbook of sorts. There are deep questions in there, activities you can do, suggestions for how you can actually work to amplify the energy of each of the queens, what to watch out for with the shadow queens. So it has poetry, it has beautiful imagery in it. It it is a transformational journey in and of itself. And so I always invite people, if they're really wanting to create greater sovereignty in their lives, to go and take a look at these queens and work through each of the chapters. The front part of the book has a little bit of my personal story and how it is that I came to understand all of this. Some of what you and I've been talking about with the four archetypes is in there, some of the explanations of energy work, your energy body. Uh, And then there's the actual queens. And I've even had men tell me that they have loved this book and that they just... They just sort of flip the language a little bit for themselves because these are universal concepts. We all have a chakra system inside of us. We all have masculine, feminine energy. And and our men are actually just as bereft of nourishment and nurturance in some cases mm-hmm. as our, us as women are. We're all missing the qualities and the values of the feminine because our culture has just simply... I don't want to, well, really has devalued those as not being as important as all of the active uh, creation productivity that is the bailiwick of the masculine side of our bodies. And so we all have some work to do to come into balance. Agreed. Agreed. So do you use the, um, you, you may have talked about this, but I'm, it's, as we talk about the queens, I'm naturally thinking about the king. <laughs> and so how, how does the king, you know, where does the king stand in all this? Well, someone, a man who is in, in his kingly energy is going to want for his counterpart to be in her queenly energy. 
And usually when we have a scenario where you find that the people in your life are trying to hold you back, they themselves are not in their own sovereign place. When we're in our true sovereign nature, there's no competition. There's enough for everyone because we're self-sourced. That sense of sovereignty is actually comes from within. It doesn't come from outside. So me being in my sovereignty doesn't affect you or take away your sovereignty. In fact, it, it might just inspire you to step more fully into your sovereignty. So what you're seeking to have in relationship is two healthy, empowered, sovereign beings who then are able to negotiate those moments where you need to have a little give and take. And when you're able to arrive in that place in a relationship, it's so magical and so beautiful because the power struggles basically fall away. And you're not having the same fight over and over and over again, which is never really about the surface information. It's really a deeper power struggle that's going on because each person is believes that they need something from the other person in order to feel happy and safe and sovereign. And as you do this work for yourself, what happens is you begin to resource yourself so fully that it becomes joyful and delightful to be with other people. You can ask to have your needs met. Sometimes they'll get met. Sometimes they won't. And that just is information for you. And if you're, if, if that happens enough that the people in your life are not willing to come and meet you where you are, well, you might need to make a different decision about what quality of relationship you want to have with that person. But it's not a sense of trying to take or demand um, or you know, wrench something out of someone as though they're the ones holding all the power, you become very connected to your own personal power. And it changes the dynamic in your relationship completely. Right. And what I found too, is that you attract other people that are similar to you. So you, you up the game of everything. Yeah. So you'll have have to perhaps be a little bit more patient as you're seeing the buses come by, I love this. There's a saying that says, you know, men are like buses. They'll, there'll be another one coming along soon, you know? And, and so the idea is to not just leap on the bus that's in front of you without checking to see where it's going, you know? And, and sometimes we have to wait as we up-level ourselves until we call into our space the people that are going to be good companions for the journey. And sometimes we have to let go of others that can't quite make that leap with us. And that can be difficult sometimes, but it's so worth the effort because when you when you are wanting to live a sovereign life the and you want to surround yourself with people who are also interested in living a sovereign life, the quality of the conversations change. The quality of the activities change. Nobody's trying to run away from their life anymore by checking out with a lot of alcohol or a lot of television or too much work or whatever it is that we use to numb ourselves. Instead, we're seeking ways to actually become more conscious and more present and more aware. And life gets really, really fun and interesting like that. And the drama goes away. Yeah. Yeah, my husband and I, I remember we were having this conversation several years back when he looked at me one day and he said, God, you know, I can't remember what it is we used to fight about. We used to fight a lot before we both got on this this journey, you know, of unpacking our shadow material and sitting in our sovereignty. And now it's just, you know, very, very calm in our household, which is really nice. And there's the occasional moment where somebody gets triggered, but we have so many tools and skills now to work with that, that we're able to make those repairs quite quickly. I I always say rupture happens, but it's all about the repair. And in our family, our rule is whoever gets the repair going first wins. And, and so we, we don't stay in a messed up place for long. If it, if, if we're there at all. So he jumped on board with you then when you said, I'm going for self-growth here, I'm going to do some healing and, and up my game and, you know, up my consciousness. He, he came on board with you. Well, I'm very lucky in that way. I, I had a starter marriage in my 20s. I was married for three years to a gentleman that I was deeply in love with. And um, and and then things started to go south because I was really showing up very much at that time, still in this masculine energy. And he was a 
desert storm veteran, a Marine. So he had a lot of masculine energy. So in the beginning, it was great because it sort of helped me feel more feminine. But over time, my tomboy energy just really came out. And, and we had a lot of conflict. And I felt like I suddenly landed in my parents' marriage where I was very disempowered and he was, you know, very critical. And I was trying to kind of fight back because I didn't want to be like my mom. And that was really rough. And, and so I asked him to go to counseling and he looked at me and said, you know, I'm really not interested in personal growth. And I said, okay, well, that's pretty much my answer. And after a long undoing and painful undoing of that relationship, five years of self-growth and self-healing, I met my current husband. And one of the things that I noticed about him right away was he was very much into self-growth. He had done some 12-step work and he was already very interested in all of these things that we're talking about. And so we began the journey together of growing together. And we had a lot of childhood trauma, both of us to undo and our love for each other was was part of what drove that desire and then when we had our daughter and we wanted to raise her in a way that didn't repeat these same stories and these same experiences and traumas that we had it was very much uh, um I would say a focus for us as a couple and as an, as individuals to become better people so we could be better parents. And then we discovered it wasn't actually enough to just be good parents to her. We had to be good partners to each other so that she didn't have to witness us having power struggles with one another. And and that's been the the gist of our life together, which has been great. So is there... Anything else that you would like to add that we haven't gone over regarding the book and the Queens and, you know, any of that? Well, I would just say that the final thing to think about as you're working on your sovereignty is how you can get into connection with other women, that being in a sisterhood is so important because it's it's very difficult to break free from some of these habits of attention that we've all been indoctrinated into and conditioned into without the support of others. And then that allows us to figure out how we are then going to be of service in the world and take it out in the world. But we have to start here first. We have to really learn how to become very good at nourishing and nurturing ourselves and having nourishing and nurturing relationships in our lives. And if we if we aren't meeting other people on the path who are willing to start there, we'll never let go of the things that aren't working because, you know, we'll have that mindset that says, well, something is better than nothing. And and so it's so important to get support, to get help, to have other sisters to journey with on the path. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And even if it's just, um, just being around like-hearted people that that have the same intention and goals as you do, it makes such a difference. The, um, the first chakra, as we're talking about safety, so much now is about feeling safe to be the truth of who you are. And for so long, so many of us have hidden our truth, you know, gone in the cave or are afraid to go out and really be who we are. And the difference it makes to be around a group or a sisterhood or if men, it could be a brotherhood. I've been in a few of these events and it's the last one I was at, maybe 21 women and three men. <laughs> but the, just even singing together or whatever it is where you're with people that can see you and you see them. Mm-hmm. There, there's just so much power in that. The root chakra, that energy of safety is so powerful that then it's like a springboard that you have to, to move forward on. Totally true. And, and, and as we do that and we, we surround ourselves with others who know how to nourish themselves, we learn how to become the source of our own safety. And there's nothing more important in the world right now, I think, than women who are connected to their sacred feminine sovereignty and who know how to be a safe place for themselves and therefore be able to be their most authentic and true self in the world. This is what our world needs. I I really believe that. I do too. And you know what? I'm seeing that there's someone here on the call board. Let's see. I'm going to take a peek here. Hello. Is there, is there someone calling from Edmonton, Canada? 
Angelo, is that you calling in? Type in if you are. Maybe I'm doing something wrong here. The uh, little note from Catherine, who's who's here. Um, good to see you, Catherine. She's sent a little chat message. Lovely. Oh, and Angela says she's in Ontario. No, not. Okay, well... I should have looked a little sooner. It looks like they were there maybe 25 minutes ago and they might not be there anymore. Okay. okay. Well, well she, just, she just sent a message that she says, no, I'm in Ontario. You know, so yeah. I, I grew up actually in London, Ontario, Angela. So if you're still here, we'd love to hear from you. Okay. Well, this has been lovely. If you do, if you don't have anything else, is there anything else you would like to add? I, I'll, I think I've got the link to your website, um, both on Facebook and YouTube. So if, if you would like to know more about what Rima's doing in her classes and her book, you can find it all there, right? Yeah. Encourage you to go and check out the quiz and find out what is your strongest queen archetype. And then if you're interested in learning more, we have, um, uh, a new class, like I said, coming up in November that that registration we just opened a couple of days ago. And uh, um, there's plenty of information there for you to look at on the website. And you can find the book on Amazon if you'd like to get the book um, from Amazon. And Angela's just saying she's lived in Kitchener for a few years. I really like Kitchener. That's a great area. In fact, I hope to be back in Canada teaching next summer. So uh, if you get connected with me on my website by taking the Queen's Quiz or somehow joining my email list, you'll, you'll hear about it when I get back to Canada. I have some really good friends still in Canada from my time growing up there. Okay, awesome. Well, this has been such a pleasure to have you on today. And so everyone, go dust off your crowns or go make yourself a crown and get used to your queenliness. Um <laughs> Okay, so this has been fabulous, Rima. Um, Everyone have a great week. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for listening in to Light Laughter and Lattes. It has been my honor and pleasure. Please visit jerryhab.wix.com and check out my services and my packages. I work with people in person and from a distance. And I also give free 15-minute consultations. And so until next week, may your week be filled with light, laughter, and a whole lot of love.